This is the Soil Sense podcast where we believe that building healthier soils is not just a prescription, but rather a pursuit. It's a journey that requires collaboration, curiosity, and communication among farmers, researchers, agronomists, consultants, and extension. You're going to hear their stories and discover how and why they're working together to make sense out of what's happening in the soil. Hey, thanks for coming back for another episode of Soil Sense. I'm your host, Tim Hamrich. Over 90% of producers in North Dakota are experiencing some sort of reduced productivity as a result of salinity. And this problem is not unique to just North Dakota. It's happening in many of our most productive agricultural regions. The second problem that we're going to discuss today after salinity is a separate problem, but in many cases, even more difficult to manage. Sodicity is a huge problem and also can impede progress in solving those salinity issues. So salinity and sodicity are two different soil chemistries and require different management approaches. Today, we welcome onto the show Naeem Kalwar, Extension Soil Health Specialist at North Dakota State University, to talk about salinity, and Dr. Cheryl Reese, Senior Lecturer in Agronomy at South Dakota State University, to talk about sodicity. These two offered a very insightful panel at the DIRT workshop in December, and what you're about to hear are some of those highlights. Starting with Naeem Cowler on the topic of salinity and why these problems are so important to address. The reason we need to care about soil salinity, for example, and for that matter, so to city too, but I'll let uh, Cheryl talk more about that, because we lose hundreds of thousands of dollars every year on these kind of spots. So if I just give you a quick um, example, according to NDSU crop budgets, producers spend $82 to 180 bucks per acre just at the time of planting. So I'm only talking about seed, fertilizer, and fuel cost. I'm not even considering their time. They spend that much money at the time of planting. And most of these spots, depends how high the salt levels are, basically return into net loss. And I've had several conversations with producers too. And I'll again, give you an example that one producer, for example, told me that, you know, I paid hundred bucks per acre as a rent to my landowner. So I asked him, I said, okay, so for example, you rented this quarter, which would be 160 acres. He said, yeah. I said, how many acres you know that your annual crop is not going to grow there? He said about 10 acres. So I said, what is better, losing thousand dollars? Or if you ended up planting an annual crop, say even if you spent 100 bucks per acre planting an annual crop, losing $2,000. So that would be my reason for caring about these issues. Unfortunately, some of these saline soils are so bad, it can be really discouraging. But is it possible to bring them back? Or are these just spots that have to be avoided for economic reasons? I think that we could bring them back. The The example I gave, the producer example, in 2012, they basically contacted husband and wife and RCS, and they contacted me. I just recently joined Langdon Center, and this year, you should have seen the wheat growing there. So there is a very reasonable chance we could bring these acres back. Now, it all depends upon our starting point. If we are starting from very high levels of salinity, and so sodicity is more complex than salt, I would say, but the the wet weather caused salinity, but the dry weather is not going to help it either. So we will depend upon getting, I would say, not too much rain, but we need decent rain to force or push those salts into the deeper depths. 
So there's a reasonable chance we could bring these acres back. The other thing I want to say that, uh, you know, I like to focus on things what I could do. So we see the white salt crust. Okay, salinity issue is there. But do we know how high the EC or the salinity level is so that we could plan to plant something which will grow there? I could always go and take soil sample. That is in my control. I don't control the rain. I don't control the temperatures, but I could take a soil sample, get it analyzed for EC. Now I know, okay, what are my options? Can I plant soybean here? No. Can I plant canola here? Maybe. Can I successfully plant barley and oats? Yes, for sure. Well, some spots, depending upon the soil results, I may say, no, I would even lose money planting barley and oats. So my next option would be to plant a perennial salt-tolerant grass mix. Again, I'll let Cheryl talk about Soda City. Part of these soil analysis results would be, is there any other issue going on like Soda City? Do I need the amendments? And if I need it, is it economical? So yes, we could do that. I suggest that we should remain optimistic. We should never lose hope. We face challenges. Every challenge brings opportunity. And we should focus on things which we could do, not focusing on whether we are going to get the rain or no. To me, we cannot control that. One of those things that's within the control of many farmers is putting in drainage tile. Now, should this be looked at as a tool for managing salinity? Tile could be an option. So here, here's a situation where tiling will work. As long as we have access soil water, the basic function of tiling is to drain the access water in order to maintain optimum groundwater depths during the growing season. So we need access water. Under dry weather, groundwater depths will drop naturally. We don't need tiles for that. The other thing is we need good soil water infiltration, which is a function of good soil particle aggregation, whether it's chemical or biological along with uh, good structure in soil pore space. So this is the issue we are talking about will result in dispersion, which will lead to poor soil water infiltration. It's not the fault of tiles, but if we have dense soil layers, water will not move through the soil profile into the tiles. So you need good soil water infiltration and you need wet weather, and then tiling will work, it'll help. But then there are some other things, what we have found out here. So we think that if we tiled, salts will just go away. What we found out from our research project that in 2016, we had a lot of rain and the land was tiled and the salt and the sodicity levels were high. So salts were trying to keep the dispersion low. Sodicity was causing dispersion, but salts were neutralizing that. We reduced our EC levels, say from eight, nine to four, three and a half. Come 17, our EC levels increased back to five or six. And that was a result of capillary movement. The land was tiled. Because, and the reason for that is that uh, tiles collect free gravitational water, but the capillary water or the wicking up of the water also can bring the salts back. And tiles do not intercept that. The plants, roots can intercept that. So there are pros and cons. I would just say that under right circumstances, tiling will work. But if the circumstances are not right, we should try to stay away from that. Now, real quick, before we move forward, I wanted to make sure you heard Naeem's point there about the wicking up of the water that can be intercepted by plant roots. So getting something that will grow on this land will be helpful. But water management will only get you so far if you're also running into sodicity problems. 
I'll welcome Cheryl Reese into the conversation here to talk about management strategies for this problem. Well, in South Dakota, we've been looking at basically three different you know, tools in our toolbox to uh, help farmers manage these areas. Obviously, amendments. People are also looking at using tile, and we're also looking at using perennial grasses. How I'm going to look at that is um, the first time I see a site like that, like Neem said, you're going to soil sample it. That's the first thing we do. We got to figure out if we have saline or sodic or saline sodic. If I do have a lot of sodicity and this area is getting much larger and I'm having erosion problems, that's another thing we see in South Dakota. We've seen a lot of gullies formed along the edges of the fields, a lot of uh, erosion issues with that. The first thing we're going to ask the farmer is, are you interested in trying to find a salt tolerant perennial grass that can grow here just to sort of, sort of stop the erosion problem right away? We've worked some with amendments as well. The amendments that we primarily evaluated are gypsum and elemental sulfur. Uh, we don't have access to beet lime like you have in North Dakota. The issue we have with gypsum in South Dakota is that we found that many of the sites that have sodicity in South Dakota also have high gypsum. Now, you can soil test for gypsum. Ward Labs will do that in Kearney, Nebraska. It is more expensive, but you can do that. It's not something I recommend doing. What I would recommend doing that is if you do have a area that you've tested high in sodium, that you could try some amendments there and then see how well it works before you know spending a lot of money because gypsum can be fairly expensive as well too. We've worked a little bit with elemental sulfur. Uh, the issue that we've seen in about probably 10 fields we've worked in and plot studies for you know at least a couple of years, uh, looking at the amendments and what's happening with them. The big issue we've seen with elemental sulfur, and maybe you have seen this in North Dakota, you'll hear that elemental sulfur, if you apply it in the, in the winter or early, early spring, it'll be available and start breaking down by uh, probably um, you know, July or so, June. We have not observed that in our high sodicity soils. I've found uh, elemental sulfur prills still in the prill form in a soil with a lot of sodicity in it uh, 18 months after it was applied. So uh, my recommendation is going to be if you have sodicity there and you can't do anything about it, soil test, plant perennial grasses. And then if you want to use amendments, try them out on a small scale before you use them on a large scale, obviously. Connecting back to something Naeem was talking about earlier, Cheryl has also done some work looking at salt movement in tiled fields. She gives an interesting example of one field in particular she's studied over time. We have a site uh, down by Stratford, South Dakota that we are working with a farmer there. It's a pretty large area and it's about 20 acres. It's about a, it's like sort of a classic saline seep. And so we start kind of up at the, you know, at the top of the hill and then we come down into the foot slope area. So typically, you know, a lot of people, they'll sample the surface and kind of monitor what's happening with the surface salts. But what we wanted to do is we wanted to get at the question, will water flow into the tile if we have sodium in the presence of that tile? Uh, so what we're doing is we have picked a location that we go back to every year where it is tiled and we're deep soil sampling down in the vicinity of the tile. Uh, this field, so we go to the top of the hill and we have some very productive soils at the top of the hill for corn and uh, soybean with no salt issues. But the very interesting thing about that is once we get down into about the two foot range at the top of the hill, we start hitting some extremely high sodium even at the top of the hill. 
across South Dakota and North Dakota, we have very similar soils. And uh, these areas pop up because um, we have old salty sediments that are from uh, old formations. And if these formations are close to the surface and we have a high water table, then these salts will always come back up to the surface. Now um, with tile, what we've observed so far, so the tile was installed in 17 and we've monitored for 18 and, and 19. We've collected our 20 data. We're working on analyzing that right now. But uh, what we've observed is in 2019 was the second wettest year on record in that site. And we observed that we reduced some of the sodium in the lower, you know, two, three feet, feet range on the side of the hill. But at the very bottom of the hill, the sodium increased or maintained the same concentration, which was between three and 5,000 parts per million sodium from the top all the way down to where the tile was. We sampled the outlet of the tile as well during that year. The tile flowed throughout all of August. So we sampled June, July, and August. And we noted some salts coming out, uh, but it was an equal portion of calcium, magnesium, and sodium. And sodium is the predominant salt in that field. So we're seeing exactly what Naeem is seeing is that we're changing that EC up a little bit by lowering it, but it appears to be the primary salts that are moving out are calcium and magnesium. And so far, we haven't seen a lot of effect on sodium. Now, this is only the you know 19 and the 20 will be the third year. Uh, so it's going to take time. But, you know, for our initial uh, first couple of years in this field, we had the rainfall to move it. We haven't seen the sodium, a lot of sodium moving out of that toe slope area yet. Well, this is probably not encouraging news for those of you with sodicity problems. So what should people do to try to find solutions? When it comes to the sodicity issue, my positive note is going to be to talk with your NRCS people. And if there's nothing else you can do, plant a perennial grass. We have a site down by Clark that has sodium in it as well. It's not, um, you know, when I'm talking about the Stratford issue, you know, we're talking upwards of 5,000 parts per million in the surface soil, sodium, that's a lot. Um, down there, we're talking more in that 2,800 range. But we have planted perennial tolerant salt grasses, and, you know, like uh, AC saltlander, creepy meadow foxtail. And we estimate in the first year that they really got uh, going, that they were able to encroach between about 20% of those high sodium areas. And so I can't echo enough the importance of if you soil test, if you have sodium, get a salt tolerant grass planted out there because you do not want to let the problem get away from you. If you do, it'll become this nightmare that's very, very difficult to um, maintain and um, reclaim. I see one of the uh, persons in here said from their personal experience, that it takes 10 years of pattern tile drainage to reduce the size of my saline seep, I am going to agree with that 100% because in the couple of years that we've seen in our tile where we have a lot of sodium, you know, we haven't seen a lot of improvement in the foot slope area. And so get something out there to lower that water table. Remember those perennial um, salt-tolerant grasses, their roots can go down, you know, six to 12 feet and prevent that water from coming up, you know, that capillary rise like Naeem was talking about because that's what's continually bringing those salts up. That's what I would do if I was a farmer, if it was my land. And to bring Naeem back on here for a minute, if we have both salinity and sodicity problems and we're planting those perennial salt-tolerant grasses that Cheryl just recommended, should we also be applying amendments? 
if we have both issues. So number one, we don't need any amendments for salinity. These are water soluble salts and they will move out with the water depending upon the weather and what's the groundwater depth. But sodicity is the bigger challenge. And this is why, because the amendments, even we, when we apply, they need to get dissolved in the water. So just as an example, if you apply gypsum, calcium need to separate from sulfate. So gypsum is calcium sulfate. And then that calcium will go and displace sodium from the soil particle negative charges. So if you applied amendment, the amendments, once they get dissolved, they will turn sodicity into a salt issue if they are working successfully. I don't know how long it'll take, but that will be the process. So initially your salt levels will go high, but we have to understand, I'm not trying to say that um, salts are good for plants, but think about this. If sodium or sodicity is trying to break down soil aggregates, salts are trying to neutralize that. So until we figure out or take care of that sodicity issue, those salts are good to have because it's like money in your bank. So if you are tiling and your both salt and sodicity levels are high, and then in the tile water, calcium is going out. Well, calcium is what you're applying through gypsum, for example, or beet lime. So if you drain your calcium, that means that you may have to apply a higher rate of gypsum. So it's tricky and it's a lot depends upon weather too. And I actually can also uh, quickly tell you guys that uh, we have been taking water samples because we have a lift station every year, one to three times per year, depending upon the water. We take samples from the lift station up the stream and down the stream. And during the last five, six years, we have taken samples 10 times and these are analyzed we filter them, preserve them, send them to Department of Health. And we found out that the water, which is draining from the tile drainage field, is actually adding more salts, sodicity, selenium, sulfate, nitrate, nitrogen, and some other like carbonates, bicarbonates in the surface water drainage ditch, which is going through different fields and actually going to Langdon Water. I'm not really proud to say that, but the thing is, this is how you learn by doing research. So if you have a tile drainage system and if your objective is working, you're taking care of those things. Remember the water you are draining out of your field will add more salts and sodicity to surface water resources. Okay, well, we can't end the episode on that somber note, but luckily Naeem has an example and some words of encouragement that will close things out with a much more optimistic tone. So I created a bleak picture, so I'm going to give you a positive example. <laughs> Depending upon our starting point, when I say that, I mean like how high the sodicity level is and how high the salinity level is. I could give you a real life example, which has been published in different magazines too. In Walsh County, North Dakota, in 2014 fall, I visited a land uh, with the landowner and he wanted to tile it. I said, let's go and take some soil samples. So we took soil samples. And this landscape was different on top of a hill, big coulee going around it. So when we got there and, you know, we were short on breath too, because we were using handheld auger and we went four feet deep. So doing all that, you know, I said, you know, Mark, I think that you should have good drainage going into that coulee. I think the water is not moving through the soil profile. To make it short, we came back. It was a sort of city issue. 
At that time, the cheap gypsum source, which is from North Dakota, was not available, and gypsum was very expensive. So he ended up applying beet lime, about 16 tons per acre, on 16 acres side by side. And the levels were not super high. He went with barley crop. Next year, he planted uh, durum. That land, you won't be able to recognize. I have five years of soil results. Each year, I kept going back to that 16 acre, and I took the samples. It is basically completely out of the issues, salt as well as sodicity issues up to the four feet depth. So that's the positive pitch. The other pitch I'm going to say that, like Cheryl said, if you tested your soil, you have both issues, salinity and sodicity. And, you know, the amendments are very expensive. And if you don't want, want to apply, I would suggest plant a perennial salt tolerant grass mix. They will grow there. You could actually get okay to good hay out of them, uh, depending upon when you cut them. If you want to put your annual cash crops back someday, that's when you need to think about amendments. But if you want to leave that ground for now, you say, you know, I've lost enough money on this piece of land or these five acres. I just want something to grow there. You know, these perennial grasses look way more beautiful than, say, your noxious weeds. And you could get some income out of them too. And then, you know, that would give you some time to think about different other options. And if you still wanted to invest in gypsum or some amendments, you could do that later. As far as some surfactants are concerned, I've heard about a few things. I've talked to the company people. I do not have any personal experience, but here's what they claim. They are not saying that don't apply any amendments. What they are claiming is that that product will break down, say, gypsum is calcium sulfate. It will break it down faster. If, for example, here's a, here's a big question mark, because I do not endorse that. I personally have no experience whether whatever the claim is, is going to happen. But if, say, you are able to separate calcium from sulfate faster, then that calcium can also replace sodium from the soil particle sites, if that's correct. So I've heard about that product, but again, I, I personally do not have any experience with that. Okay, a lot to think about from this episode. If you want to learn more about salinity and sodicity, make sure you visit the NDSU Soil Health YouTube channel to see this full panel in its entirety and some other videos on this work in action. Thanks so much to both Naeem Kalwar and Dr. Cheryl Reese for being on the show. Thanks as well to the sponsors of Soil Sense, the North Dakota Corn Council, the North Dakota Wheat Commission, the North Harvest Dry Bean Association, the North Dakota Barley Council, and Anheuser-Busch. If you're getting value from this podcast, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes and share your favorite episode on Twitter with the hashtag SoilSense. We'll be back with another great episode next week. Mm-hmm.